Welcome to the BlackburnNews.com debate for the writing of London West. I'm your moderator, Scott Kitching, and I'm joined today by three of the candidates in London West. We have Kate Young from the Liberal Party of Canada. We have Matthew, Matthew Rowlandson from the New Democratic Party. And we have Dimitri Lascaris from the Green Party of Canada. Candidates, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Unfortunately, uh, Ed Holder of the Conservative Party of Canada uh, declined our invitation to participate in the, deba the debate today. Uh, so we, we miss Ed, but uh, we're happy to go ahead with the three candidates that we have today. Um, we're going to start with opening statements from each candidate, which will last about two minutes. Candidates, I have... Uh, the timer set on my trusty little iPhone here, so when you hear the beep, or the I guess it's the ping from the iPhone, you'll know that your two minutes are up. We drew the order uh, in which the opening statements will be given prior to the debate. We start with Kate Young of the Liberal Party of Canada. Kate, go ahead. Thank you very much, Scott, and thank you to Blackburn Radio for hosting this video debate. I'm Kate Young, and I am running as the Liberal candidate in London West because I am concerned about the future of this city and the lack of opportunities and confidence that we have in this region. And I care deeply about London West. My parents moved here when I was three years old. I, I grew up here. I raised my family in London West, and I live here now. And we've always known London to be a great place to raise a family, and I'm blessed to have my uh, son, daughter-in-law, and twin grandsons living close by in Old South. I want my grandsons to have the same opportunities and advantages that my children had growing up here, but I believe that's eroding very quickly. And we can't simply point our finger at the municipal or provincial levels of government for all of our problems. The lack of leadership in Ottawa is affecting us here in London and it can't continue. We deserve better and I believe a federal Liberal government has the plan to restore confidence in London West and help families thrive. A Liberal government has a three-point plan create jobs with the most significant infrastructure investment in Canadian history, grow the middle class by raising taxes on the wealthiest Canadians, that's the 1%, and cutting taxes for middle-income Canadians, and also help those working hard to join the middle class by investing in essential social infrastructure, including affordable housing and childcare, as well as providing more money to help families with the high cost of raising their kids. I believe a Liberal government is offering the change we need at this time in Canadian history. I'm Kate Young, the federal Liberal candidate in London West, and I am asking for your support on October 19th. Thank you. Kate, thank you so much. Uh, now, Matthew Rowlandson of the NDP. Thanks very much, Scott, and thanks to Blackburn for hosting this event. Uh, it's terrific to be here. I, I want to begin by saying I'm sorry that Ed Older couldn't join us, and you know, I think the Conservatives refusal to attend so many debates says something about their relation with the electorate. I think they've lost touch. And I think this, elect this election is going to be to a very big extent a referendum on the performance of the Conservative government since 2007 and a debate about the way forward, the way to undo some of the damage they've done. Uh, I'm a professor of English at Western. I've lived in London West in the riding since 2002. And I've got to say, the main reason I'm running is that the years I've lived here have been pretty tough ones for this city. We've had a lot of plant closures, uh, electromotive diesel, Ford, Kellogg's most recently, and we've had our infrastructure has really suffered a serious deterioration. The housing situation in the city is reaching a crisis. So while I've been going to door to door in London during the campaign, I've met a lot of people who've been laid off and some of them are still looking for work. And even the ones who have jobs are now in low-wage service jobs. The jobs that have been coming back to London are not the kind of jobs we used to have that you could raise a family on 
and own a home and build the kind of middle-class lifestyle that I think Londoners want. Under this Conservative government, there are 200,000 more Canadians out of work than before the crash in 2008. Under this Conservative government, we've been the only country in the world to drop out of the Kyoto Accord on climate change. Mr. Harper's record on climate change and in general his foreign policy has made this country has made has made this country much less respected in the world than it used to be. And I have to say that the Liberals are not being clear on how they plan to fix Mr. Harper's mess. They won't say how they're going to pay for their promises and they won't support key measures that will help families here. They're campaigning against $15 a day childcare and they're campaigning against the $15 minimum wage. They don't have a plan to address the challenge of climate change. Okay, and there's uh, two minutes. Thank you, uh, Matthew. Uh, Dimitri Lascaris of the Green Party of Canada, uh, thank you for joining us today and your thank, opening statement. Thank you, Scott. Uh, in this pivotal, pivotal election, I have spoken uh, with many Londoners, and those conversations have filled me with hope. Londoners understand that we are at a critical moment in human history, not just Canadian history, but human history. And toward that end, they ask, how do we end the reign of the worst Prime Minister of our lifetimes, Stephen Harper? This is, of course, a vital question, but there is a question that is even more vital. Who will replace Stephen Harper? If we replace him with a leader whose agenda differs only marginally from his, our election will have served little purpose. Sadly, the Liberals and NDP are parties of the status quo. Nowhere is this more obvious than in regard to the defining challenge of our time, climate change. 2014 was the hottest year in 135 years of record keeping. 2015 is on course to smash last year's record. Even worse, scientists recently concluded that the Greenland ice sheet is shedding over 300 billion tons a year. If it melts completely, it will raise global sea levels by an average of six meters, devastating major coastal cities around the world. And recent peer-reviewed studies, scientific studies, established that in order to avoid apocalyptic climate change, we must leave the majority of the oil in the ground. This is the legacy of years of conservative and I want to underline this, liberal inaction on climate change. And what do the Liberals and NDP now say about climate change? They want to expand, not freeze tar sands development. And Justin Trudeau openly supports the building of the Keystone XL pipeline and the Energy East pipeline that will speed that expansion. Justin Trudeau and Tom Mulcair think that if you stick the adjective sustainable in front of the words oil sands, then you have solved the climate crisis. I have news for them. An adjective will not save us. The Green Party opposes tar sands expansion and tar sands pipelines. We want to price carbon fairly in order to incent industry to invest massively in the industry of the future, renewable energy. Studies show that we can convert the entire planet to renewable energy before 2050. It can be done. All we need is the will to do it. Thank you. Okay. Right on. Two minutes. Thank you, Dimitri. Uh, we move on now to the question period of, of our debate. And as we talked about earlier, how this is going to work is I will ask a question to a given candidate. That question will, that candidate will have about two minutes to give an answer. And then we open up the floor for a, a few minutes of debate. Uh, again, we did this by kind of random draw. And the first question is to Kate Young of the Liberal Party. And this is a question about the economy. Kate, it's often said that the best form of social assistance is a job. The unemployment rate in the London area was 6.9% in August, down significantly from the 9.9% that we saw during the recession uh, in 2009. But many argue we're in a technical recession now, and there is concern that the jobless rate locally could climb again. Now, rightly or wrongly, payroll taxes are often cited as barriers to hiring new workers. In the 2015 budget, the Harper government said it will drop EI premiums 
to $1.49 per $100 earned by 2017. Your party's plan calls for $1.65. How do you convince business owners, the job creators as it were, that your plan is the right one? Thank you very much, Scott, for that uh, very important question about uh, the economy and about uh, how uh, small businesses work, how uh, we keep building our economy, and what we do need to do is to get people working again. So that, uh, of course, if we have people working, then they're paying taxes. So the Liberal plan is uh, based on uh, a number of, way of ways of, of getting southwestern Ontario working again, because I'm very concerned about what's happened in this, uh, in this area, and I think it's uh, because of the failure on, of the Harper government uh, to, uh, to really uh, take hold and, and do something about the manufacturing jobs that we have lost in uh, southwestern Ontario. With that said, I think what we need to do is to get uh, infrastructure money into this city to get people who are uh, out of work working again. We need to uh, make sure that uh, uh, we s the Liberal Party is, is planning to uh, uh, put more money into uh, the, uh, the coffers of municipalities by uh, giving billions of dollars, the largest infrastructure program in Canadian history is going to be unfolded. And one, once that money is released, it will be uh, rolled out from the federal government to the provinces and then given to municipalities and they'll be able to decide how to spend that money. And once that money is uh, in the hands of municipalities, then we can get more people working. And I think that's, that's the most important thing to have happen in, uh, in Ontario and in London, in south southwestern Ontario, is to get people working. Okay, um, now we open it up uh, for a few minutes of debate and, and I want to start um, with you, Dimitri. Um, I mentioned payroll taxes. Where does the Green Party stand on, on what is the appropriate level of, of uh, EI pro, uh, premium that business owners, particularly small business owners, should be facing? Um, and, and do you believe that you know, the higher the EI premium, the greater the barrier to hiring new workers? Well, we're not focused so much on the existing system. What we want to do is we want to introduce a guaranteed livable income. And I want to put the emphasis on the word livable. So the, you know, the people of our country shouldn't have to uh, live beneath the poverty line. There's no reason why Canada is one of the richest countries in the world should have poverty. And we, uh, we want to ensure that every single citizen, uh, through a program of guaranteed livable income, has the means in order to have a decent life. And we can provide that. And we think we can provide it by increasing the corporate tax rate in this country, which is at the lowest level in the past 30 years. It's now at 15%. It's less than half of the corporate tax rate in the United States, which is, of course, not a socialist country. It has been slashed repeatedly by the liberals and conservatives, and it is starving us of the essential revenue that we need to lift people out of poverty, to solve the homelessness crisis in this country, to give our kids a good education, an accessible education, and to rebuild our infrastructure. Matthew, um Dollar forty-nine um, per hundred dollars earned. What the what the conservatives are looking at. Dollar sixty-five. Uh, what the liberals are looking at. Uh, first, let me ask you where the NDP stands on that. And second, um, do you see? And and maybe I'll get Kate to to reply to your answer. Do you see a great deal of difference between the conservatives and the Liberal Party? And when it comes to their approach to creating an atmosphere in which businesses and industry are able to hire new workers. 
Well, let's begin with the last question first. Uh, no, I don't see a great deal of difference. And I mean, let me respond to some of what you've asked about the about EI. Uh, EI EI is an insurance program. It's not a tax, and um, it, the NDP's position is that employment insurance is actually itself a job creation program. People who manage to stay on EI after losing their jobs do better, and they are, have a better chance of being rehired into a good job than the many, many people who, who are now currently losing their EI too quickly. Cuts to EI began, cuts to EI began under Paul Martin's last Liberal government, and they've continued under the, under the Conservatives. Uh, the NDP has no plans to cut EI any further, and we would certainly want to in increase, enhance the program. The real key to jobs here is, is not, and Dimitri's already said this, the real key to building jobs here in Southwest Ontario is not tax cuts and subsidies to large multinational corporations. That's the road that's been tried by the Liberals and the Conservatives the last two decades, and we know what the result has been. 400,000 manufacturing jobs have left Canada. The key to building jobs here is to build our infrastructure and to support small local businesses in sustainable fields. They're the future, they're doing most of the hiring, and they will stay here. Uh, Kate, we've got about two minutes. You wanted to, to jump in there? Well, I certainly uh, agree that uh, we need to keep, keep uh, taxes for small business owners down. Uh, we're dropping that from 11 to 9%, and that's key because we know that small businesses are very uh, important to our economy. Um, also, something that's also a, a very big concern is skills training, and I think the Conservative government has dropped the, the ball on this, and they're not, they're not investing enough in skills training. We've, we've lost so many manufacturing jobs in, in the London area, and then there are people who are out there looking for work, but they don't have the skills, so they need the training. And the Liberal government is going to have a $750 million annual increase in funding for training programs. And that will help uh, all of the communities like London that are really uh, suffering. And uh, we also need to uh, look at the medium-sized entrepreneurs and help them grow, uh, along with trying to uh, create more jobs that uh, have been uh, just left southwestern Ontario. We've got Kellogg's, we've got Ford, and when I go door knocking I talk to people all the time and I'm sure Dimitri and Matthew do the same thing and people are hurting in southwestern Ontario and the Conservatives can say that things are all rosy but that is wrong and we have got to come to grips with this problem because it is a growing problem in southwestern Ontario. Thank you Kate. Uh, next question is on the issue of health care and this question is for you Matthew. Canada's healthcare system, while not perfect, uh, is something that most Canadians, regardless of their political stripe, can certainly be proud of. Uh, unlike our neighbors to the south, we tend not to hear stories about people having to mortgage their homes uh, to pay their hospital bills. However, our system has a very hefty price tag and it's one that keeps on growing and it will continue to grow. The Harper government says it wants to get annual spending increases down to 3%. Your party says it would maintain the yearly increases of 6%. How do we pay for that? Um, okay, I didn't realize the question was going to end with a question which is actually about yeah. taxes. The NDP's position on how we're going to pay for our programs is very clear. We are the only one of the three national parties to have released a fully costed fiscal, fiscal, uh, fiscal statement of de describing all our proposed expenditures and revenue sources. So, you know, our main revenue sources will be an increase in the corporate tax in the corporate tax rate paid by large corporations. We are also going to roll back some of the har some of Mr. Harper's tax giveaways, the tax giveaways in his last budget. 
and that's how we're going to pay to sustain the level of healthcare of healthcare paying of healthcare payment, uh, spending that Canadians need going forward. This is a graying population. It's a growing population. There's no way that declines in the rate of increase of our healthcare of our of our healthcare funding that the federal government provides the provinces are going to sustain even the current level of services. And the current level of service is not adequate. We have real deficiencies in many areas of our healthcare system. Uh, mental health care is is, is a huge problem. We have people who go into emergency rooms at risk of self-harm, who go into emergency rooms in, in, in crisis and are not seen or di discharged onto the streets. We have extraordinarily long waiting times for some surgeries. We, um, I'm sorry if I'm running over, but one no, last, no, last, last, last point. We have a real need for home care. We have enormous numbers of outpatients and seniors of seniors who should be uh, who should be getting home care, who are taking up beds in our who are taking up beds in our hospitals. That's both wasteful of money, and it's also extraordinarily inhumane. It's it's a poor standard of care for those patients. Those three areas are specific areas that the NDP wants to target. The final thing our health care needs is a federal government that's engaged. Mr. Harper has made it very clear that he really doesn't think health care is a federal responsibility and he would like to offload all responsibility of the system onto the provinces. Tom Mulcair will be a prime minister who is engaged in health care, who unlike Harper will meet with the premiers and once again bring our health care together as a federal responsibility, as a shared national project. Thank you, uh, Matthew. Um, we'll open it up now and, and Dimitri, I'd like to start with you. Uh, the Green Party's health care plan uh, as I understand it, focuses, uh, not well, I don't know if focuses is the right word, but there's a heavy emphasis on preventative um, uh, health care. Would a Green Party government, uh, I, I suppose, work closely with the provinces in, in hopes of convincing them to adopt that kind of uh, more preventative sort of focus rather than, than treatment? And how would you go about that? Well, we actually want to, we are absolutely determined to work more closely with the provinces and we want to get back to the practice of having annual meetings with the provinces and bring also First Nations who have real health care issues to cope with uh, to the table as equal partners. We think that's absolutely essential. And yes, you're right. It is very much about preventative health care. You talked about the statistics and the growth of demand, but how about talking not just about how you're going to fund uh, the system so that it meets the demand, but reducing the demand for health care services. And that's what preventative health care is all about. You know, one thing, for example, that we can do is end our dependence as quickly as possible on fossil fuels because the extraction, refinement, and consumption of fossil fuels is introducing a massive amount of toxins, carcinogens into our environment. And we have in the society a, an epidemic of cancer, which is, of course, not just devastating to the people who suffer from it, but it's an enormous burden on our healthcare system. And we can reduce that epidemic. That's not normal. You know, the, what we have now is abnormal, and it's because our environment isn't healthy. When the environment becomes healthy, the demands on the healthcare system go down, and the funding issue becomes much more manage manageable. Uh, Kate, um, I wanted to ask you this question, um, and and guys, feel free, feel free to uh, to jump in. Um, we are uh, in, in a situation that in some ways mirrors uh, what we were in when the government of Jean Chrétien came in. Now, we, now the, we are in a, a, a balanced budget right now, but we have seen deficits uh, in the past well, we could, couple of years. We could argue yes, we that. we could argue that, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, when the liberal government of Jean Chrétien came in, we were in a significant deficit situation. And one of the ways that that deficit was dealt with was what many would argue were rather extreme cuts to health transfers and uh, by, by 
finance minister, Paul Martin. Um, should we find ourselves in that situation again, what assurances could a liberal government give that we would not see a repeat of that, where we saw those incredible pressures put on the provinces mm. by the cutbacks and those transfers? Uh, well, yes, um, I, um, I know that uh, the, the federal government has to take a leadership role, and I think that's something that uh, I will agree with uh, everyone here today, that, uh, that uh, it has been left with the Conservatives. They've just washed their hands of health care. And so I think the a federal uh, government, a federal liberal government, would uh, hold a first minister's meeting to re-engage and collaborate and get talking with the provinces. And possibly that wasn't really done enough uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. We can't afford as a country, whether it's federal or provincial governments, to uh, overlook the healthcare system. We have to all work together to make sure that we have a good national health care system. Of course we do uh, give the money to the provinces uh, and that would of course continue. Um, uh, I can't speak to what a former governments did. All I can say is what we're doing is we're looking to the future and that uh, Liberals believe that it is the federal government's responsibility to work collaboratively with uh, the provinces and the territories and uh, indigenous communities as well. That's so important to, to tackle the health issues. And, uh, and as uh, Matthew mentioned, reducing the waiting times, all of these things that we must do, senior care, mental health care, prescription drug coverage is another huge issue. We all have to work together. And I, I, I think that uh, once we do, that we will have a better understanding of what the provinces need and uh, the federal government can help the provinces. Uh, we've got about a minute, Matthew. Do you trust the Liberals when they say that we would not see those uh, health and health uh, transfers cut again like we saw before? Well, that's a softball question. Okay, well, let's put no, it this way. I, I, I'm happy How to take the question. Is, no, yeah. I don't trust the Liberals. There are so many reasons not to trust the Liberals. Um, the Liberals in the 1990s promised, many, many, uh, promised us pharmacare. We still don't have it. They promised us a child care plan. They're not, they're, now the NDP is the party that's promising those things. The liberals, we know that liberals run to the left and then govern from the right. Healthcare cuts from the, from the liberals are never something they tell us about in advance. They're always something they bring in after the fact. And we're seeing exactly the same playbook in this election from the federal liberals as we saw from Kathleen Wynne's liberals in the last provincial election, right? She promised us, she ran as the person who was going to run as a pre premier who was going to reform the pensions and was going to bring in a minimum wage, but she is governed as somebody who is selling off our public assets and benefiting investment bankers. I, that's what I expect from the federal liberals as well, federal liberal government as well. Quick response, I, I, You know, you mentioned off the top about uh, the liberal government not uh, agreeing to your $15 a day child care plan. The point of it is that it's not going to be fully implemented for years. Children today, young children today will never see, the parents of young children today will never have the opportunity to use that. The Liberal Party is coming out with a Canada child benefit and a middle class tax cut that will get hand, uh, money into the hands of middle income Canadians and all Canadians, families, 
right away so that they can spend the money they need on childcare. I'm gonna, and, I'm gonna stop you on the childcare front just because that's one of the questions that oh, we've got uh, okay, coming up. Okay, but uh, he mentioned uh, it off the top, yeah. so I wanted to get yeah, that we'll, in we'll, we can, uh, <laughs> we'll debate the, the childcare issue in, in just a moment. Uh, next question is about infrastructure, and I know it's something that, that all of the parties are, are quite concerned about, and, and levels every level mm -hmm. of government is, it seems, quite concerned about, uh, about this country's infrastructure. This question is for you, Dimitri. We hear a lot about uh, our country's infrastructure and, and how it is in need of a great deal of attention, uh, whether it's rail, roads, public transit, even high-speed internet access. I want to zero in on something specific, though, when it comes to infrastructure, and that is our highway system. Uh, we here in southern, southwestern Ontario, so much of our region's economy is dependent on the 400 series highways, specifically the 401. Those highways are seeing a lot more truck traffic than they have in the past uh, with uh, you know, just-in-time delivery and, and so forth. That's leading to congestion. Uh, some would argue it's leading to a higher risk of serious collisions. How would the Green Party address that? Well, we first of all want to, uh, we want to ensure that carbon is priced fairly so that uh, renewable forms of energy become more competitive. So we want to introduce a carbon price that will fully reflect the cost of that uh, of the pollution that's being emitted or created by the carbon, and then that will incentivize the private sector to uh, invest in renewable renewable energy and infrastructure. With respect, particularly to the the question of auto transportation and truck transportation, we want to devote one point of GST or 6.4 billion dollars a year uh, to municipal infrastructure. And we want to, in particular, focus upon mass transit. We want to uh, increase uh, via rail usage. Uh, we want to start out by putting an additional $750 million or so into VO Rail to expand the service and increase the quality. Uh, and we want to up that in the following the year. We want to, where feasible, introduce uh, a, a high-speed rail system in this country, where feasible. And we basically want to deter the use of, uh, of, of our, our, our road system by uh, trucks and passenger vehicles and give people an attractive option, as they have in Europe, throughout Europe, uh, for public and mass transit, both for individual passengers and for goods. We think that's critical. This problem's not going to go away uh, by continuing down the path that we have now, which is we just keep uh, relentlessly expanding the road system. Eventually, it becomes too congested, and then we engage in further expansion. Somewhere this has to stop. And the key to that is mass transit and, uh, and public transportation. Thank you, Dimitri. Um, Kate, let's uh, go to you first. Um, how realistic is it to have a radical shift in the way we, for example, ship goods uh, in this area specifically? How do we get our manufacturers on board uh, with looking at a different way to get their products from point A to point B that doesn't involve putting 18-wheelers on the 401? Yeah, and there are a lot of 18-wheelers on the 401. Uh, infrastructure, of course, uh, if we don't keep up with our infrastructure, uh, we're not going to get be able to get goods to the mar to market, no matter what way you're you're talking, whether it's rail or or uh, on the highways. And the Liberal government is uh, proposing the largest infrastructure program in Canadian history. We have to do it now because interest rates are low, our infrastructure is crumbling, and we need to make sure that we invest in the people uh, and, and the projects that we need. And uh, whether it it is the highways, it's up to uh, the uh, regional um, politicians to decide what's the best way to spend that money. So our plan is to invest almost $125 billion over the next decade, and that's nearly double what the current uh, plan of investment from the Conservative government. 
So that money would be used in three different ways. Public transit, which uh, is so important in London, we hear about that all the time, will be have more than triple the federal investment immediately to get our city cities moving again. Social infrastructure, and that would be the housing and uh, uh, affordable housing, seniors facilities, that type of thing. And then green infrastructure, which would include uh, clean energy and local water treatment centers and that type of thing. So, uh, and housing, affordable housing, if I can go back to that just for a moment, uh, we need to have a national housing strategy. And it's important to be able to get on top of this now. And the, and the Conservatives have left it. It's just as if they don't care about what is happening to our major cities. And London is one a major city and we have too many homeless here and we have got to find them affordable housing. Um, Matthew, as Dimitri said, this problem is not going away anytime soon. Um, and it's a problem that's existed for some time. Um, I would presume that, that your party would, would hold the position that the Conservatives and the Liberals before them um, could have done a better job on this. How would the NDP do things differently than, than what has been done or not done over the last, let's say, 20 years? Well, this began as a question specifically about transport infrastructure, and I will come back to that. Um, but let me begin by agreeing with Kate that we need a national housing strategy. We see the result of the federal government's getting out of the business of supporting social housing on our streets every day. Uh, we have fam if you have family members, young family members who are trying to live in, our, in Toronto or Vancouver, we know the issues of affordability there. Um, but I want to remind your listeners that we had a national housing strategy until Paul Martin and uh, Paul Martin brought it to an end in his in the last Liberal government. The federal government needs to get back into the end, back into the business of supporting social housing. But we can't trust the Liberals to do it. The NDP has a very concrete plan to support co-op housing, to begin to work with the municipality, begin to work with the municipalities to build affordable housing, to build affordable housing rental units and and uh, and, uh, and units for sale. Uh, that, our, that our cities need. Let's turn to transit. Uh, yeah, congestion is a huge problem. And probably, I think, I, I think I read that the city of Toronto has the worst traffic in the world. Um, transit uh, congestion costs, is an estimated cost 11 billion in the GTA. I will say the, N the NDP is committed to the idea that better public transit is the way forward here. Um, that includes municipal public transit, and we very much want to support the SHIFT program that's being developed here in London. We also want to support rail, tra rail traffic. Um, not necessarily the high-speed rail. I mean, Kathleen Wynne has promised high-speed rail. Best bet, she's promising it maybe by 2029, and I don't think we'll ever see it, not the way the Liberal government is going now. Rather, we can work efficiently and economically with existing, with existing infrastructure that needs to be maintained. We can build an integrated transit, net, transport, transit network for the whole of Southwest Ontario that includes buses and trains at a reasonable cost. And the NDP, the NDP is about extending our transport infrastructure, maintaining what we have, rather than engaging in mega projects that are going to require public-private participation and that all too often have ended in boondoggles in the past. Okay, uh, Kate, did you want to respond to anything Matthew said? Well, I, I think... Um I'm glad he agrees that we uh, we need a national housing strategy and uh, everything starts with affordable housing and safe housing and uh, one in four Canadians pay more than they can afford for housing uh, one in eight can't find adequate housing so it uh, uh, whatever happened in the past 
happened in the past. What I'm saying is what we need to do now and moving forward. Okay, and any... Uh, sure, yeah, as you know, I sit on the board of the Unity Project for the Relief of Homelessness in London. Uh, so I'm uh, quite familiar with the, uh, the scourge of homelessness and uh, the absolutely vital need for uh, a national strategy on housing. But this is particularly why we think a guaranteed livable income is, the, is, a, is, a time who, is an idea whose time has come. This will uh, certainly greatly alleviate, if not eliminate altogether, the problem of homelessness in this country. And there's absolutely no reason, as I said at the outset, why we can't fund a guaranteed livable income by restoring corporate tax levels. And I'm talking here about taxation on large corporations, not small businesses, to something that is more reasonable and comparable to the U.S. We want to take it up to 19 percent uh, to fund that kind of a program, including in ha a national housing strategy. Whereas you have the Liberals wanting to keep it at its rock bottom level, the lowest in the industrialized world, and the NDP only wants to take it up to 17 percent and do that very gradually. If we're going to actually deal with the problem of hopelessness, we need to fund it properly. Okay. Uh, next question. Uh, we're into our second round now, and this one is about the environment. And this question is is for you, Kate. When it comes to the environment, Canada, it could be argued, is in a little bit of a tough spot relative to to perhaps what uh, what other countries are dealing with. Just about any strategy to deal with cutting emissions is going to be felt by two of the biggest sectors of our economy, oil and gas and manufacturing. How do you find a middle ground between reducing emissions and supporting industry? I, I think you must be pragmatic. I think we must be able to uh, balance the economy and the environment. Uh, we, we can't just have one or the other. We can have both. Um, what is most important as far as uh, whether it's climate change, um, clean technologies. We have to make sure that whoever wins this election, uh, that the that party, the leader, and I will certainly hope that it's Justin Trudeau, goes to the Paris conference in early December. That is so key to the future of our uh, of our country, of our world. Uh, so much will be decided at that uh, at that conference and uh, we need to have a partner with the provinces and the federal government and I've said this before but it is so key to uh, establish national emissions targets and ensure that we have targeted federal funding and flexibility to design uh, the provinces to design their own policies to meet these commitments and that's essential including the provinces should have their own carbon pricing policies. Okay, uh, let's go to you, Dimitri, for a, for a response. Um, how do you find that balance and, and maybe talk a bit about how the Green Party would be the best party to find that balance between reducing emissions while at the same time not doing so in a manner that, that for want of a better phrase, cripples industry? Well, the good news is we are not confronted by a choice between jobs and resolving the climate crisis. We can actually create jobs and more jobs than the oil industry currently uh, has created and resolve the climate crisis at the same time. For every million dollars that is invested in renewable energy, 15 jobs are created. For every million dollars put into the fossil fuels industry, two jobs are created. Uh, in, in Germany, which has invested far more in the re renewable energy sector and has a population that's a little more than twice as large as Canada's, they have 370,000 people employed in the renewable energy sector directly. In this country, the number is uh, less than 25,000, so we're just scraping the surface. And that number, by the way, is a little higher 
uh, despite the fact that it's so low relative to Germany, the number of 24,000 or so renewable energy jobs is still higher, slightly, than the number of jobs uh, directly created by the tar sands industry. So, uh, and, and the other thing I'll say about that industry, the oil industry, is that it's only responsible for 2% of GDP. But at the end of the day, if you price carbon fairly, with a national strategy, not some patchwork, uh, you know, idea that Justin Trudeau has put forward, then you're going to have private industry investing massively in renewable energy because it'll be much more competitive. It's already becoming competitive on its own without government assistance, but it can be made much more competitive with the simple principle, the simple economically fair and sensible principle that the polluter must pay. And I just have a question for Ms. Young, and I have a question for Mr. Uh, Rowlandson. I'd like them to answer this directly. If you're serious about climate change, and if the science is telling us as it is, that we have to leave the majority of the oil in the ground in order to avoid temperature increases in excess of two degrees Celsius, which is our commitment, and I take it your parties agree with that commitment, how are you going to do that at the same time as you expand the tar sands? And I'd ask you for a concrete explanation of how you're going to do that, if you're really serious about tackling the defining crisis of our time. Let's start with you, Matthew. Well, there's a lot to talk about here, but I'm gonna begin I'm not politicians aren't supposed to do this. I'm going to begin by directly answering Dimitri's question. The NDP is running to form a government. That means taking account of the real world. The oil sands currently produce roughly 2.2 million barrels of oil per day. Now, permits have already been issued. The permits have already been issued, and a lot, lot of the investment has already been made to more than double that production. The projected, the projected rise in the oil sands production and the timeline isn't clear because oil prices are so, much, are so in flux at the moment, the projected rise is to about 5 million. Those permits have already been sold. Anybody running for office who tells you that they can form a government that will ha reduce oil sands production next year or the year after below what it is this year is not recognizing, is not recognizing the investments and the, legal per the legally binding contracts that have already been signed. So oil sands production will continue to rise for the next few years, no question about it. And the question we face, therefore, as a country is how to deal with that rise in a sustainable way. One answer to that question has to be then, how is that oil gonna be moved? Tom Mulcair has said that what we need is a serious, unlike the conservative, we need a serious review process of every, in every environmental project, pipelines, new projects going forward, so that we can move Canada's oil to market in a safe way and keep the jobs that are produced by oil production here at home. At the same time as we do that, and I hear I completely agree with Dimitri, at the same time as we do that, we must move to a, an economy based on sustainable energy sources. And yes, it's a false choice to say that we have to choose between a strong economy and an environmentally and an environment and, and a sustainable one. On the contrary, the jobs of the future are in sustainable fields. And that's where London is in such a great position because we have awesome small companies emerging in digital technology, in composite technology, in water purification. These are fields where we have companies growing in London, and these are where the jobs of the future are going to come from. Uh, Kate, I'll get you to, to respond to Dimitri's question as well. I really hope, I really wish, rather, Ed Holder was here to answer some of these, because uh, this is something that uh, the Conservative government has... Um, uh, again, just um, left us uh, without any, uh, we we're so far behind. We've lost 10 years as far as the environment is concerned. And if, if they had just been able to uh, recognize that climate change is real 
and do something about it, we wouldn't be where we are today. But we are and we, we have to be realistic about how we're going to uh, move forward. I did want to mention that uh, um, Nobel Prize winning uh, scientist, Dr. Gordon McBain, who is a Western climatologist, has come out to endorse the Liberal platform on the environment and he is endorsing my campaign. And I think that says a lot about uh, how scientists feel about the Liberal platform, that it is balanced, it is measured, and it will work. If, if I may. Yes, please. Um, you know, I have a great deal of respect for Professor McBean, but in 2013 he signed a letter addressed to uh, uh, Joe Oliver at the time in which he criticized the whole notion that the tar sands industry needed to be expanded and that we needed to build pipeline infrastructure. Now, maybe this election he's decided he's going to do something strategic by supporting the Liberal Party, but he's clear and he's on the record that that is the wrong strategy and that is the strategy that Justin Trudeau is pursuing. Uh, and I want to point out to my friend Matthew Rowlandson, I'm a lawyer, I understand what can and cannot be done with legally binding contracts. Legislation can override those contracts. And at the end of the day, if you're going to talk to me about reality as Kate did, the reality is that we are on the precipice, the science is clear, we need to leave the oil in the ground. So if you're going to be realistic, you're going to have to address that necessity to leave the oil in the ground. Anything else is a departure from reality and is fantasy land, I'm sorry to say. Okay, thank you candidates. Uh, that was probably the most lively part we've had so far, but um, I want to get on to the, to the next question, uh, which, as we mentioned earlier, is childcare. And uh, this question is, is for you, Matthew. Your party leader, Tom Mulcair, said that an NDP government would create hundreds of thousands of new childcare spaces and cap fees at $15 a day by, I believe, 2018-19. Uh, the cost, mm -hmm. uh, an estimated $1.9 billion. But the plan calls for a 60-40 uh, funding arrangement with the provinces. How do you convince the provinces, many of which are on kind of shaky financial ground, how do you convince them to get on board when this is going to mean more cost for them? Universal child care makes everybody richer. Now, uh, the numbers as I understand them are 380,000 spaces in a first mandate. And Kate is right. We are proposing to phase this program in in a, in in a fiscally responsible way. But 380,000 ch child care spaces ain't peanuts. It's something that Canadian families are crying out for and the Liberal plan will create zero. So, yes, we need childcare spaces. I believe the province will, provinces will get on board because if you look at the history of universal childcare elsewhere, in Quebec, where, it's, where it already exists, and if you look at it in almost every country in Europe, a childcare program does not, just does not only look after the children and the families who use it, it means the parents who are now staying at home, who are now staying at home and who inhabit a universe defined by a phrase I hate, I can't afford to work. I can't afford to work because putting my child or my children in care would cost more than I'm going to earn. Somebody in that situation is somebody with talents, somebody with training, somebody who is staying out of the economy because she, and it usually is a she, doesn't have the social infrastructure she needs to allow her to work. If People in that situation will go back into the economy. It increases GDP. Uh, Pierre Fortin, an economist at the, at the University of Montreal, says it doesn't just increase GDP, it actually increases government tax revenues, which is to say that it pays for itself. So in the most optimistic forecast, this is actually not going to cost the provinces. But in any case, it does make us all richer. 
And I believe that when the provinces see that case and see how this system works, they will, jo- they, 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 they will join with the federal government to form a partnership to establish this program, which Canadians across the country and families here in London and West are really crying out for. Kate, I'm going to go to you first uh, on this because your party, when it was last in government under Paul Martin, had a national child care strategy, an agreement with the provinces that was lost when the NDP and the Conservatives brought the government down. Um, so let's go to you first on, on this issue of child care and, and how I suppose your party's approach differs from that of uh, what Mr. Mulcair is, is suggesting. Yes, you're right in that uh, it does beg the question if the new Democrat Party uh, wanted a uh, national child care plan, why did they bring the Liberal government down uh, at that time? So, or why didn't they push to, to have that uh, come into effect? But they didn't, and so here we are, and many years later, and we have, uh, uh, the Liberal Party has reassessed things, and we have decided that the best way to, uh, to handle this is to get more money into the pockets of uh, Canadian families. So we are uh, uh, talking about a Canada child benefit, and that is that nine out of 10 Canadian families will receive tax-free checks every month. And that's the difference because right now, uh, families received a check in the mail from the Conservative government in July, uh, a child tax credit check. But that's taxable, so they're going to have to give a good portion of that money back. What we are suggesting is a tax-free check every month up to $6,400 per child each year. So a two-parent family with two kids earning $90,000 will get $490 every month. One parent family earning $30,000 per year with one child will get about $533 per month. And this will lift 315,000 Canadian children out of poverty. This is what we need immediately. We don't need uh, an idea that's going to take so many provinces to be on side, and that's never going to happen, and it's going to take years to, um, to get going. Dimitri, go ahead. Well, briefly, we want to, uh, the Green Party wants to restore and revamp the 2005 agreement reached between the federal government, uh, provinces, and territories to achieve a universal access uh, child care program in Canada. We think that's absolutely essential. I myself lived in uh, Quebec at the, shortly after my kids were born with my, uh, my wife, and uh, I can tell you having had access to child, uh, child care was uh, a, a critical benefit to us. And we were amongst the more fortunate members of society at the time, so uh, I, I'm fully sympathetic towards the creation of a universal access child care program in Canada, and it's, it's time has come. Yes, Matthew, because I know you want to respond to what Kate said about, uh, about the, the bringing down of the government. And then, and then once you've responded to that, I, I'd like you to, I guess, Take a moment to just talk about how the $15 a day program would be better than what, what Kate is suggesting, which some critics have argued is, is essentially the Harper plan with, with just a little bit Maybe more money. You give money. me my response here. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, but, but first of all, yeah, just, yeah. To, just address what, what Kate said and then, and then maybe kind of differentiate between the two plans. Uh, my pleasure. Look, going back to the Paul Martin government, the NDP brought down that government because Canadians, can, can, this country needed a referendum on liberal corruption. Right. We were, that, this was the aftermath of the, of the sponsorship scandal. It would have been irresponsible to keep that government in power. Canadians wanted to put a period after that period, after, after that, that, that era in Canadian history. And with all respect to Mr. Martin and Mr. Chrétien, both of whom are still alive and both of whom were, 
gave a lot to this country, the memory of that period is really tainted by the re recollection of the sponsorship scandal. I have no regrets about the NDP bringing down that government. Although a universal child care plan would have been a great thing, and it will be a great thing when the NDP brings it in. Look, we do see here an important philosophical difference between the Liberal Party and the New Democratic Party. The NDP believes in building things. It believes in building programs that are universal, that are available to all of us. And yes, the Harper, Harper government, I think the country has suffered enormously from the Harper government's strategy of slicing and dicing the electorate and doling out checks and doling out checks to families, families, for, families whose children play sports, to families of this kind, but not to families of that kind. I think, and the, the liberal policy, the policy that the liberals are proposing is more of the same. It, it's a policy of sending, it's a policy of sending checks but not building the social infrastructure that families need in order to be able in order to be able to uh, in order to be able to support their, their themselves in order to be able to live in society and to live as part of a universal whole in which we look after each other by building institutions that we share Kate a quick response well it's uh, certainly um Again, I just have to reiterate that uh, it sounds good on paper, but it's not going to mean a thing to children that are uh, uh, at home now, that need child care now. So uh, we need to get money into the pockets of uh, middle income and all Canadians so that they can spend the money as they see fit. Okay, last question, and this is for you, Dimitri. And, and this has to deal uh, with with governance and with our our... I guess our feelings as, as Canadian voters, uh, we seem to be a rather cynical lot uh, when it comes to our politics, not just at the federal level, at, at all levels it seems, and maybe with good reason. Broken promises, floor crossing, robocalls, majority governments with less than 40% of the, of the popular vote, we've seen it all. So the question is, how do we change that? How do we get more people in this country, in this community, engaged in the process? and get them out to vote so that we can finally see voter turnout levels that approach what, what many of us would, would find respectable. I think the number one thing that we can do is to be honest with the electorate. We're not being honest with the electorate. And uh, you know that, that dishonesty comes in many forms. Sometimes politicians utter out, out and out untruths. Other times they put a spin on things which is misleading to the public. What they tend to do more often though is they leave out critical information which the public really needs in order to make informed decisions. What we've now become are robots, and this is particularly true of the, uh, of the, of the Conservative Party. You know, it's every single candidate of the Conservative Party appears to be nothing more than a medium for the PMO. And, you know, I'll give you an example, and it's unfortunate for him he's not here to defend himself, but you can see it on camera. On the Rogers debate, I had Ed Holder sitting to my left. I had no notes in front of me for the entire debate because I was there to have an honest and spontaneous and sincere conversation with the voters. He had a script with elaborate flowcharts and a, a, a typed out answer for virtually every question that might arise. He's nothing more than uh, a medium by which somebody else's message is being delivered. And that's not what the voters need. They need us to have an honest and sincere and adult conversation about the issues. And then, uh, uh, quite apart from that, we need to get away from the system of governance we currently have, the, system, the electoral system. We need a proportional representation system so that everybody's vote counts. And we are 100% committed to that. Uh, we need to reform the Senate which is a mess, and we'd like to have a national consultation process following which there will be a recommendation for reforming it and a referendum, 
and people will be deciding between two options, abolish the Senate and that recommendation. Because at the end of the day, the Senate right now is, a, is really a detriment to Canadian democracy. And the last thing that I think is very important uh, for re-inspiring the electorate and getting them to trust us again as politicians is this whole notion of whipped votes. Right now, the major parties, and they, this has been their practice historically, uh, you know, unless there's a declaration that some particular vote is a vote of conscience, which very rarely happens, they are obliged, practically or you know, uh, uh, philosophically speaking, to go along with the leadership. You know, our party says we're going to abolish whipped votes. Every vote in our party will be a vote of conscience. So if I represent the people of London West, I will be free to do what I deem to be in their interests, even if my leader doesn't agree with me. Dave. All right, thank you. Thank you very much, Dimitri. Uh, let's go to, to you first on this, Matthew, and, and um, I'll essentially ask you the same question. How do we get more people feeling better about the political process and, and more importantly, feeling better about the people who, whose names are put on the ballot uh, for them to choose from? Um, you're right, Scott. These have been rough years for our democracy, and it, there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, some have to do with specific abuses by the conservative government. And I mean, I think whipped votes are pretty far down the line. We've had the Harper government proroguing parliament, essentially bringing the people's chamber, the people, the people's representative, the business of the people's representative to a halt because he was at political risk. We've had omnibus bills in which cuts to our environmental, our environmental standards have been pushed through in completely unrelated budgets and undebated. We, so, the, uh, we've, we've, we've had many bills that have been passed through. We had Bill C-51 passed, passed earlier, earlier this year. The committee, the, the, the committee, the committee process was, was, was cut short. Many, many, witnesses to, many witnesses about that bill were not allowed to testify. So our democracy in the last few years has really suffered from the, from the heavy hand, the, the heavy hand of the, prime, of the prime, uh, prime Minister's office in the government we have. But more broadly, we are living with a 19th century system in a 21st century world. Our political system was devised in the 19th century for a far smaller electorate, a, lim a limited electorate, and for a country that was far smaller and far less diverse than it is today. I com completely agree with Dimitri. We need to move to a proportional representation system, and I look forward to green support of an NDP government when we bring one in. The NDP is committed to adopting a mixed-member proportional representation system, which will preserve the benefits of our current system and that people will elect representatives from their own area, but will also ensure that all parties are represented in Parliament in the same percentages as they receive votes from the electorate. We need to abolish the Senate. And as Dimitri says, if we have a government that will take a clear position on this, the provinces will go along because the electorate wants it. We've seen, again, the current conservative Senate has been filled with scandals. But the fundamental problem with the, with the Senate is the way it's designed. It's an undemocratic body. It was designed in the 19th century to solve 19th century problems, and it doesn't do anything for us today. Kate, um, does Dimitri have a point about whipped votes? Uh, and and okay. is that something that... Um, you know, it really ought to be uh, at, at the not the forefront of the Liberal Party campaign, but but certainly something that you would hope your leader would uh, would give you the freedom to vote your conscience on on every matter, not just specific ones. Well, there's no question when I was trying to decide whether to to run for the Liberal Party, I wanted to know that I could have a voice for the people of London West, that uh, I wasn't just bringing back the, the uh, 
voice from the hill to London West that I was going to be able to, it was a two-way street, and I think it must be. Um, and, uh, and that was very clear, that the Liberal government would be very open to more free votes and that we would have opportunities that we haven't in the past. Justin Trudeau is very keen on this, and I think that's important. We need to have uh, a more open and democratic uh, government. The Conservatives have almost destroyed our democratic government over the last 10 years, and we have got to rebuild it. Now, um, this will be, under a Liberal government, the last election that will be first past the post. We know that it's not working, and we will be, uh, uh, if we form a government, we will be setting up uh, 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 discussions across the country about what is the best way to move forward. I'm not sure it's the NDP way. I, I don't know. We need to have that discussion to decide what is best for, for Canadians. They must have some input. Um, I, I also wanted to talk about young people getting involved. It's so incredibly exciting to see Justin Trudeau and how he can walk into a room and get so many young people re-engaged in the electoral system. And I think that uh, bodes well for our future. Um, okay, we have about 50 seconds left, and I want to ask each of you a very simple question and, and get a very simple answer. Floor crossing, should it be allowed? <laughs> Dimitri. Yes, people should always be able to act in accordance with their conscience. And I just want to say one thing about Kate's answer. There was no commitment coming from her to the abolition of whipped votes. She talked about more uh, freedom to vote your conscience. No, we're making a, an ironclad commitment to get rid of whipped votes altogether. Matthew, floor crossing, should it be allowed? Uh, yeah, people should be allowed to vote in accordance with their conscience, as Dimitri said. Uh, I don't think it'd be a good idea. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and Kate? I agree. Okay. I, I, I've never, that's never been a, a concern of mine. <laughs> um, okay, uh, well, that, that is the end of our questions. I want to thank you all for, for your, uh, your answers. We're going to move into the closing statement uh, phase of, of our, our debate, and we'll go in the reverse order as uh, what we did in the opening statement. So, Dimitri, uh, you'll have two minutes. Please go ahead. Well, uh, you know, I started out by saying that uh, sadly it appears that the Liberals and the NDP are determined to uh, more or less toe the line, although they're prepared to break with the Harper government in some marginal respects, ultimately they're parties of the status quo. And I want to bring to the attention of our listeners today two issues where, again, this becomes clear. I started out by talking about the climate change issue. The one is uh, the problem of student debt. Uh, student debt is becoming increasingly burdensome in this country and post-secondary education is becoming increasingly inaccessible. We want to abolish tuition fees. And people may say, well, that can't be done. How can we do that? Well, Germany has done it. Germany has uh, a rep the reputation of being the most fiscally responsible country in Europe, and somehow they have managed to offer free education. We want to abolish tuitions for, uh, uh, for universities, colleges, and skills training programs. The second way in which you can see the status quo nature of the Liberal and the NDP is on trade agreements. Okay, there's an agreement on the table, Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is going to give corporate lawyers the ability to enter judgments against the Canadian government on behalf of multi multinational corporations whenever the Canadian government adopts legislation which reduces their profitability but benefits Canadians. We are unequivocally opposed to that agreement. The Liberals and the NDP support it. Ultimately, if you want real change, the Green Party is the path for you. Okay, Matthew, go ahead. Scott. It's been a real pleasure to be here, and I would have to say this has been a, a pretty stimulating debate. I hope it's given your listeners a clear picture of the difference between the three of, the three of us. Um, 
I'm really proud to be here as a representative of the NDP, and I'm proud to be running with Tom Mulcair as, our, as my leader. And I've got to say, I think that this debate demonstrates that the NDP is the party that has a clear plan to rebuild Canadian democracy, that has a clear plan to build a sustainable economy in this country. We are committed to bringing in mixed-member proportional representation system in Canada and reforming our democracy. The Liberals tell us that what the Liberals offer us on, on issues of democratic reform is consultation. Consultation isn't a plan. The same is true on climate change. The NDP is committed to bringing in a cap-and-trade system that will put a price on carbon emissions and will lead to a sustainable economy. The Liberals are offering consultations and commissions, but we haven't heard a clear plan. Only Tom Mulcair and the NDP have the leadership and the experience to make the changes we need in this country. We've had 148 years of liberal and conservative governments, and over the last two decades, this society has become more unequal and less green. We've lost hundreds of thousands of good jobs, and we've become less able to care for those who need it. The NDP is a party unlike the liberals and conservatives. It was founded by working men and women, and for its whole history, it's fought for a society where we take care of each other. This year we can elect our first NDP government, and Tom Mulcair's ready, I'm ready, and I'm asking for your listeners' support on October the 19th. Matthew, thank you very much. And uh, finally, Kate, Kate Young. Thank you very much, Scott. First, I would like to thank Blackburn Radio for giving us this opportunity to, to talk about the issues that affect, affect all of us. This election is about our future and our children's children's future. Canadians know that we can always do better. You want change. We hear that loud and clear, and I believe a Liberal government is offering the change that we need now. This election is a clear choice between a government that wants to make smart investments that create jobs and growth, or austerity measures and cuts that will slow the economy further. Confident, optimistic countries invest in their future. Better is always possible. And the Liberal plan is fully costed. Only Liberals have a plan to put more money in families' pockets to help with the high cost of raising their kids and by investing in the social infrastructure that gives all Canadians a real and fair chance at success. When you have an economy that works for the middle class, you have a country that works for everyone. The people of London West need a voice in Ottawa and not the other way around. I would be honoured to be that voice and we offer a real positive difference for London West and that's why I'm asking for your vote. Thank you very much. Candidates, thank you so much for coming in today. We really appreciate it. Dimitri Lascaris of the Green Party of Canada, Matthew Rowlandson of the New Democratic Party of Canada, Kate Young of the Liberal Party of Canada. Thank you again for coming in. Really appreciate it. Thank you for the for the debate. And thank you for running as well and, and in being involved in the process. It's uh, it's it's very much appreciated. Uh, we hope this has been informing uh, for, for you, the voter. Thanks for, for watching. And by all means, on October 19th, get out and vote. <laughs>